Well, welcome back, everyone, to the Whitetail Theories podcast. We are on episode four of the Deer Camp Tour, and we got Brandon Blatt and Owen Wilkerson on the mic. The fellas are out in Montana right now hunting elk. What's going on, fellas? Not much. How's it going? Oh, it's going. It's going. Uh, so let's kind of do quick introductions. Why don't you tell our listeners kind of a little bit about yourself, who you are? Uh, you guys are cousins, right? Yep, we're cousins. Uh, I'm Brandon. I'm actually from back in PA. Um, big in the whitetail hunting and obviously coming out here elk hunting. Right. So I'm, I'm Owen Wilkerson. Uh, I grew up back on the East Coast, Pennsylvania, just right down the road from Brandon. Um, and I moved out here about three years ago or so, my last year of high school. And, you know, I've always hunted whitetail and turkeys and stuff like that in PA. And uh, now I'm into the elk and the mule deer and all that kind of stuff, the Western big game. So, Owen, what's kind of been the learning curve for you from your transition from PA to Montana? Right. So I like grew up, like I said, I grew up on whitetails, you know, tree stand hunting and stuff like that. So like, you know, I wasn't the best necessarily, but I knew a lot of information on it. And then out here it just became this totally new ball game on, I hunt mule deer in the high country mountains now in the snow and the rifle in rifle season when they're rutting, that's just something completely different. Um, and, and elk hunting is completely different. There's, there's no stationary factor anymore, hardly, unless I'm glassing. Gotcha. gotcha. So it's just, it's just something totally different. All new tactics and a whole new physical conditioning workout. So what would be some of the recommendations? Brandon, how, how many years have you been hunting elk? Uh, this is my third year hunting elk. Okay. What are some of the trials and tribulations you went through um, in your experiences as an elk hunter? Um, it's just... A completely different ball game than you know tree stand hunting and whitetail hunting i mean it's a lot of walking and it's not easy walking either it's blowdowns and steeper mountains and a higher altitude and it's uh you definitely got to be in shape and this is the third year you think i would have learned to you know maybe mm -hmm. just do a little bit more walking before i head out but every year i don't and i pay for it the first couple days but yeah, it's just, it's different. It's very physical. And one thing that gets me is it's hot out here when we're hunting. It's 78 degrees this afternoon. So, I mean, you got to dress completely different in the morning. It's 20, 30, 40 degrees. So you're all bundled up. And then by the time the afternoon comes, you're ready for shorts and a t-shirt. So it's just a lot of different elements that come into play. How much does the mental side of things play a role? Because uh, you're talking about the weather there. So when you get up in the morning, it's more like your typical hunting weather where it's nice and cool. And then midday rolls around and you got that blasting heat. How much of that is just draining on you? Uh, some days is worse than others. Um, it's, I don't know. I mean, I've spent several weeks out here so I'm kind of used to it I don't really think about it but definitely the first day or two it's like man this sucks it's it's just it's almost it's weird to me because we don't have that much of a 
you know, temperature difference every day. We're kind of, you know, a little more mild to that than uh, out here. It's one extreme to the next. And it's frustrating at some points because, like, you go from shivering to next thing you know, you're sweating and your boots are soaked and, you know, your clothes are soaked. So it's it's just different. Yeah. Yeah, no, that was one of the big things that I, I actually really struggled with was just those temperature swings, um, trying to make sure that I kept my mind right in, in the game because once that heat came around, man, all I wanted to do was just sleep and chill in the shade. And I, I don't know what you guys are doing. That was like really the time to to try to get into a position to glass, if you could glass the dark timber, glass up the dark timber and make a game plan for for the evening so as far as where you guys are hunting i don't want to drop any any spots but can you kind of paint a picture of what the terrain looks like right so we're hunt, we're kind of hunting mountains on like you know your your draws and stuff to the top of the mountain you have about maybe four to six thousand vertical feet of change okay or four four to four to six hundred sorry um if you're in a draw and then you want to go to the top of the ridge, basically. So you're looking at, you know, you on average four to 600 feet vertical. Um, and it's just, there's some open area, but we're kind of looking more towards, uh, you got your dark timber. Then you have a couple like high country meadows, not a whole lot of it. And then you have your, uh, you just have like some open, uh, lodgepole pines and some green bottoms kind of, which is where we try to focus on. We try to focus on, being in the bottoms, in the water, where it's cool, where the greenest grass is, is that's going to bring them cows into estrus sooner. Gotcha, gotcha. So, uh, what elevation are you guys at where you're at? Um, our hunting elevation that we're running is, we're finding most of our elk right now at about 64 to 7,400. And on average, your, your, your lowest points are probably down near I don't know, 5,800 and our highest point is probably 8,000. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So you guys aren't super high. Uh, no, got it. Um, right. How, how is the, um, the dryness affecting you guys? Like how, how have you guys been dealing with that? Um, I was just talking to Brian Halchek yesterday. He's over in Wyoming and he said it's the driest he's ever seen it since he started hunting Wyoming and I think that's been like 20 some years. So are are you guys battling those same drought conditions and the fires and that whole deal? Right. So the mountain range and the national forest that we hunt, there was one fire up there. It's basically out now this summer. And then the range just to the East of us had a big, big fire, you know, 50,000 acres. And some people got pushed out of there and they're hunting over where we hunt now. Um, but just for your general, our general hunting, like I said, you know, we kind of try to focus on them bottoms, you know, it, it might, our bot, some bottoms that we hunt are only, you know, 30 yards wide or something like that, not even, mm-hmm. but we just try to find the ones with water and the luscious green grass that we've learned that, you know, the cows got all out, they got a drink, they're in the cool and them draws, you know, the green grass is what they need. So that's, it's not too bad necessarily because everything that we've always focused on hasn't changed because the water's still there. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. Uh, how's the hunting pressure? So like one of the things that I've noticed is that the, the desire to hunt out West is 
growing and more people are doing it. Um, are you guys dealing with maybe this question specifically for you, Owen, but are, have you seen a, a, a growing increase in pressure where you're at? Um, so we hunt central Montana more for elk and archery season, right? And, um, that's the only time I actually really personally see hunting pressures with Brandon and stuff, just because where I live in Northwest in Eureka, Montana, our promise up there is that our elk population, um, you know, my, my personal thing is wolves is back in nine and 10 when the wolves really started moving in, uh, everybody, according to them, the elk population just dropped off the face of the earth, elk, moose, deer population. So we just don't get the pressure there because nobody comes to hunt because there is nothing to hunt hardly. That's why we drive, I drive six hours to go archery elk hunting. Um, but the first year we hunted, this is our third year here. Um, the first year we hunted, it was extremely full, I thought. And then, the, like, you know, every time you want to go somewhere, you make sure you're there a half hour, 45 minutes before you would even want to be there to make sure you had that spot. Wow. And then um, the past two years, it seemed like it, it kind of slowed down. Maybe that year, that first year, it was just crazy. Um, but now it's just like, you know, sometimes if you're running on behind, you might lose your spot possibly. Um, just depends. It, you know, we try to study on X maps and stuff like that a lot, do a lot of um, satellite research and stuff like that. And it just it just helps us if we can pick out drainages that are back in just something that's like so we, we find things anywhere from like isolated back in two miles to stuff that's right near the road. Just things that people overlook and miss. Yeah, no, for sure. That's a great tip because I feel like the the popularity of just getting in deeper is is growing and growing. So you're finding more pressure back in than you are potentially right next to the road because people are just walking right by it, and the the elk are always going to go to those places of least the least amount of pressure, right? Right. So like we, you know, I'm not trying to give too much detail here, but we we've, we've we've hunted places three miles from the truck that you know some it's kind of easy access but not really you know but it's you know it's like uh, there's another road only two miles away that's easy access so the elk just ain't there they got pushed out and then we but then we got places that are you know if you're looking at main highway to where the elk are you're looking at them not even a mile and if you, if you know how to get in there right by reading the terrain it's really simple and there's there's just elk in there and and nobody goes in there so, Brandon, have you have you noticed a a change in pressure since you started going out there? Um, like Owen said, I would say the first year we were hunting here, it was pretty crazy. It seemed like, I mean, even you know, we'd be in camp and it'd be three three thirty in the morning, and you'd hear guys tearing up the dirt road, you know, into their spots already. Mm-hmm. Um. And last year was kind of, I don't know, it seemed like some days were busier than others. But this year, um, aside from this past weekend because of the holiday, um, but as far as like the past couple days, it just doesn't seem like there's nearly as many hunters. Um, Like when we drive into these spots in the morning, you know, we're going down the roads and you used to see trucks pulled off or guys that have camps set up and that kind of stuff and i mean there's still people here but it doesn't seem like as many people and uh 
I could say last year and the year before, it definitely seemed like we bumped into more people in the woods. So, um, and to the tune of, you know, people, you know, going deeper and stuff. I think we bump into more people when we go deeper than when we hunt, you know, the edges pretty much, or these holes that, you know, everyone's just driving around. Mm-hmm. For example, like two days ago, we were a few miles back in this big meadow and we're walking the edge of this meadow and this guy pops out of the woods and we're like, what the heck? Like you go back to get away from people and you end up running into them anyways. Yep. So it's dude, it, it, definitely it, not as busy yet. It was the same way. So like the, the one place we went to in Idaho, right? It's a seven mile hike back in. We set up camp way back in and yeah, dude, it was like, it was like we were just following guys around. We we uh, I I said I said finally to my buddy I was like we need to get out of here go to a different spot. We went to a different spot that was more or less right off the road. That's kind of like a scenario, maybe not like how yours is, but it was all right. You you had to hike in a little bit, but it wasn't crazy. And then you you dip into this lush gorgeous meadow, dude. There was one hundred and fifty head of elk in it. And I mean, it was way easier than what we did at the other place. And we weren't competing with the dirt bikes, the quads, like all that pressure. It was, that's something that I think is drastically overlooked from somebody that's coming East that doesn't necessarily have a connection, kind of like your situation on, um, access when it comes to off-road vehicles too. Right. So Oh, and do you want to kind of talk about that a little bit uh, for um, the hunter that's potentially coming out west? And, and and you too, Brandon, maybe you can chime in on it too. Um, how to go about checking out spots that you, what would you recommend for a person coming out east that doesn't have right. access to a, a UTV, an ATV, a, a dirt bike, um, horses, that kind of stuff? Right. So like, you know, first thing I would tell anybody who's like looking into it, it's just, you know, the internet is your friend. Go on YouTube, just just look up, you know, how to scout for elk, how to e-scout, stuff like that. Go on, you know, Google Maps, Onyx Maps, and just start looking. Use the 3D, look at draws, look at features, and, um, you know, um, just start looking on learning about elk instead of just how to hunt, just start learning about them more. Uh, how, what they what they do, what times of years? Because what we were hunting five days ago and what we'll be hunting five days from now are to, two different total type of elk, you know, and how they're acting. Um, but you know, um, if you if you can't get out here, you know, usually this year we did come over and put some cameras out in the springtime, you know, just to see what we got in some areas. And I'll tell you now, we got bulls on camera, and we are hunting for them bulls, and we cannot find them at all. And we, we hardly got any cows on camera. And I'm, you know, I'm certain them bulls are with them cows or went to them cows. And we're just trying to find them cows right now. Um, but as far as, you know, ATV, UTV, you know, we have a four wheeler that we always bring over with us from my, from my place. I think out of three years, we've probably used it maybe three times. You know, it's, it's not a lot of hard, intenseful, you know, back, backwoods trails and stuff like that. It's just, Use your brain. Don't overthink things. You know, if you see a drainage that you can just walk in and out of and over to another ridge uh, in a deep, dark drainage or something, and it looks nasty. 
you know, whether it's, if it looks, um, the elevation looks steep or whatever it is, and you're looking online, you know, if you live back in Pennsylvania or wherever it may be, um, you know, any, t any time really that you can say, I don't want to go in there, you're probably going to find elk in there at some point. Another thing that we uh, have found actually the first year that we came out is, and I had never thought about it. One of the guys that came out with it, he obviously, you know, we knew where we were going hunting. So he looked up the local uh, wildlife biologist for that area and talked to him. And he was like, you know, I'm, I can't tell you guys where to go hunt, but he's like, you do your research and, you know, find out, figure out where you want to go. And I can kind of guide you a little bit and say, uh, he's like, I won't tell you where to go or yes or no. But he's like, I can tell you if it's a bad idea or if there's a lot of pressure there or not. So, you know, the local biologist is your friend too, because I mean, we called him a couple of times to ask questions about pieces of land, you know, if we could actually access this and that kind of stuff. So um, there's always that route to go as well that's a really good tip brandon and you hit the nail on the head you can't go to your biologist or the state biologist and be like hey um where the elk at and how do i kill them like you you have to formulate your questions that it shows that you're actually putting in work you can't expect um these biologists that are in the field every day to just hand over um information like that maybe some will but i will say the most of most of them coming from that background will not do that they want to see the hunter putting in the effort uh to harvest whatever game species it is so make sure that you're formulating your questions in the right way that's ultimately what you're what he was getting at correct brandon yeah and pretty much like the first time we called him and kind of asked him a couple questions he was like you know, he's going to, he wants to, he wants to see guys put work in and he wants to see guys pull out elk out of like the hardest spot possible. So he says, Oh, you know, go to this wilderness park, you know, there's no access and it's, you know, you can get 30 miles in from a road. Well, we don't have horses and that's the only way in that far, you know, to set up a camp and actually hunt that kind of terrain, which is, what he wants to see people do he necessarily doesn't want to hear guys you know going in half a mile off the road and pulling out a nice bull mm -hmm. um, just because that's kind of not what he's studying but if you you know the they put the work and they know where the animals are you know they're counting them keeping track of them in a sense so if you say hey you know i'm really liking this drainage because it's got this this and this and i think elk are getting pushed in from there they'll kind of be like, yeah, you know, that's probably worth your time. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. So let's kind of talk about the, the herd dynamics and that kind of stuff out there. So for both of you, what kind of have you been seeing um, over the years as far as when the elk rut starts? Um, is it more so based upon weather? Do you see like, yeah, if you get here, usually like the second week of September or the third week of September, the, the rut's going to be in full swing. It depends on fires. It depends on snowpack. What what kind of have you seen as far as rutting activity and that kind of stuff? Well, three years ago, we were hunting for, I think, 20 days. And we started, like, the second or third day of the season. 
and when 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 does this season start out there? Is it it's in August, correct? Uh, it opens the Saturday before Labor Day. Okay. So the first week, we heard the most bugles. We saw probably the most elk, and you know we didn't really know what we were doing, and we were still we still called a couple elk in, and they completely caught us off guard because you know we were just so green we had pretty much no idea what we were doing and then the second week it was like everything just shut up like we hardly heard any bugles hardly bumped into any elk saw any elk the only places we were seeing elk is if we come down to town to fill the truck up and you'd see them on private ranches and stuff out running around um and then the third week we started hearing some bugles again and you know, that definitely seemed like when the bulls were, you know, establishing their herd, they had their cows and, but then they're hard to hunt. You know, they, you get in a bull's face and bugle, he just takes his cows and leaves because, you know, they don't want to fight. They just want their cows and they want to breed and stay away from people and obviously other bull elk. So what do you think of them? Right, just like Brandon said, kinda, you know, I've I've hunted here. I've probably spent the most time here out of everybody. And it's just like he said that, you know, and it, it, it can vary so much because one day one week or one year you have the like this year the season opening on the fourth of September, then then you have the season opening on the seventh. Well all of a sudden, you know, sure them days are real close, but all of a sudden you're hunting the first week and by the end of the first week they'll or maybe scream their heads off. Versus it takes a week and a half. It just starts on a different day, like earlier, I think, personally, for them to start bugling. Because we're, well, the ninth it is right now. Mm-hmm. And I think right now we are in the time where it's about to start cutting loose, at least. You know, the rut might not be here quite yet. The rut's on, the peak breeding's only going to be in about, you know, another 10 days. But the thing is, is like then, you know, then the bulls are on their herds. They're just, the herd has their full attention. Right now, if you want to shoot that herd bull, you got a better chance in the next couple of days to call them off of his cows. If you can sound like, if you can talk to him and make them sound, you know, like a, if you can sound like a hot cow with a, with another bull or something, talk, get him to come over to you. And then, you know, when 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 he's already got a hot cow, because then he's not going to want to leave one, you know, to come check you out at all. So, if I was looking at those dates, you know, I'd I'd. I'd probably hunt, if I had 10 days to hunt, I'd hunt like the 10th through the 20th or something like that, if it was me. So how much does the moon play a role? Because I've heard a lot of talk about, um, like, just like whitetails, you know what I mean? It's like the the 10th day after the the blood moon or, or whatever, you know what I mean? So how how much does that actually play a role in elk rutting and then is it similar from your experience out there where if you do get a week of a full moon um or however long that full moon is are is is the running activity going to occur strictly under the cover of darkness during that that moon period versus during the day right i i think the moon like factor plays you know it plays an important role in it you know, just like weather, just like, you know, the smoke kind of does, you know, everything has its own factor to it. Right now, you know, out here, well, everywhere it's a, it's a new moon, right? So the sky's like dark at night, mm-hmm. which is great for us. You know, helps get the elk up a little earlier, helps 
get get or help them stay up a little later, you know, maybe get to bed a little, get up earlier out of their bed sooner, sorry. Um, however, though, we're right now, you know, like Brandon said, it's like 80 degrees out in the middle of the day. And, and this morning, it was only like 45. I love it when it's like 30 degrees or something like that when we get up. And then, you know, midday, maybe it's pushing 60 if you're lucky. You know, right now, with it just being so hot, then elk, elk are so inactive you know they don't want to move they don't want to talk you know just like how you feel when you're hot you're just lazy right right okay so let's let's kind of transition here um we've talked well actually hold on i want to i want to rewind here a little bit so uh what is a good representation of a herd bull out there for public land um talk score talk uh size and then give some recommendations of potentially what a newbie uh, can expect maybe going out there for their first year? Um, so, you know, it, like I said, it all depends on where you're hunting in the state. I'm a bit, you know, I know of a couple different areas. Like I said, I'm going to be honest. If I was a newbie coming out here, Northwest Montana, where I am, don't even go there for real. You're going to make a big mistake. You might shoot a big bull. It's highly possible. I shouldn't say highly. It's possible. But i bet you're not going to have the experience you would if you went to southwest or central montana gotcha so if i'm if i'm hunting there um like i said we hunt you know central big main area of montana um east of basically like the big giant steep rockies you know we hunt some rough terrain still but we don't hunt like you know just your huge jagged peaks necessarily gotcha. um, but it, when i said when i'm looking for a herd bull kind of thing it you know your average herd bull has five, eight, ten cows probably on public land. And he's probably going to score somewhere in the range, you know, like, I don't know, you know, 300 plus, you know, is your herd bull. You might find a bull that only scores, you know, 220, 240 or something like that. And he still might have some cows, though. You know, it's just depends what drainage you're in. You know, a bull can get some cows going in secret little drainage and he can just hang out in there with them. Now, Montana has some unique laws in that uh, what bulls you're allowed to take, right? It's not for archery. It's not in any, it's not in any um, sex tag, correct? Uh, it is. So, like, you're, you got you got to be a little bit aware. They're not too difficult to understand, but, um, you know, it's not too bad. So where we hunt, you know, it's like it's neither sex tag and there's no antler restriction. So you can shoot a spike bull or a calf elk. You know, it, it don't much matter. Okay. If it's an elk, you can kill it, basically. Now, where I live in northwest Montana, um, I, I know a lot of the state in archery, it is either sex. However, I do know in where I live in northwest Montana, in the far northwest, you have to, it has to have a brow time at least. So it has to be a brow time bull. Gotcha. Um, and then once you get into rifle season more, just because, you know, so many elk are harvested in, in rifle season, then they start doing more, like, the cow tags versus you know you just can't use your general tag all the time maybe like the last week they have it in some areas but gotcha, you have to gotcha. you have to be a little bit aware of the regulations and what you're doing so if you are potentially coming out in archery season and you're looking for a good representation of a herd bull elk and that's what you're going after you're somewhere in the range of 300 plus um yeah anything relatively and this is all relative because it depends like like what owen said where you're at and stuff and uh habitat dynamics the whole deal relatively lower than that it's more than likely going to be a 
a satellite, a satellite bull. Right. So my, my buddy, he hunts the same area that we hunt. He shot a bull last year that had like, he had, it had just a couple cows to himself. I forget. I don't even know if he ever scored his bull, you know, but it was, it wasn't no 300 inch bull. It was only probably maybe two twenty, two forty, or something like that. Mm. You know, it just wasn't a giant, but I know, I know of some, we've seen them, you know, there's, there's some giant bulls. We've seen them anywhere from 300, probably to 375 bulls. Um, and them are the ones, you know, that they got the bigger groups of cows and stuff and such like that for public lands. Now, would you say for public, um, coming out on your first trip, would you recommend that the hunter just shoot the, the first opportunity that they get at a, at an elk, uh, on public or is the herd good enough in Montana and there's enough elk and a lack of pressure that if you have 10 days, you can make it happen within that 10 days and be a little choosy till later on in the week. Um, if it's my, if it's my first, if it was my first time out here, uh, I'd shoot the first elk I've seen first bull I've seen. I'd put it down. That's, that's what I tried to do last year. Cause last year was the first year I killed an elk myself and I hunted in 2019 and we had some decent encounters, you know, and I said, I'm not, I'm, and then I hunted rifle season. I'm like, after hunting, I didn't know what I was doing really in rifle season either. I was pretty green, and I'm like, okay, next year, first elk I see, it's it's getting there, throwing its way. And I had a nice six point to come in. Um, you know, we saw we ended up actually seeing that bull from the road uh, when we were moving camp just because of bad weather. And we went way in around this drainage and put a stalk on it. And I made some calls, and we moved. And me and my buddy moved down, and the bull was moving up then to the calls, and he stopped like forty yards of my arrow caught my rest and popped off my string and that you know it's a nice nice pretty nice six point bull that had some cows you know he probably wasn't 300 inches that one that one probably was only like 250 but he had some cows with him you know it was still early though that was the sixth i think or the seventh of september you know so a big bull could easily move in in the next five ten days and push him out and take his cows Mm -hmm. um but then like last year i like i think it was four days later I, i was on i was on a big bull my dad ended up seeing him later on and i had a satellite little spike bull come in 20 yards and i ran it through him i didn't even hesitate i said first elk i see i'm putting one under my belt at least right right and that's what i would recommend doing to anybody really yeah i wouldn't let a if it's your first time i wouldn't let an elk walk because they're hard and opportunities can be far and few between if any at all so if you get one you better be ready to take it yeah, I would agree with that as well. I I agree with I agree with you fellas. Uh they're a lot of work and then when you finally do get an elk on the ground, there's a lot of learning that comes in after that. So just being able to go through the process, whether it's a cow or a bull or a spike, whatever, um, understanding your limitations then too. So you go in five miles and yeah, you're relatively in good cardiovascular shape, but you might not have the muscular shape. You then got to get 400 pounds back out of that uh, five miles. That could be very costly on you and potentially meat spoil or, or who knows. And Montana is extremely strict on um, their meat spoilage, aren't they? Right. I mean, I, I don't know a whole, I mean, I, I paid, I'm, I'm probably one of the, biggest people i know about paying attention to the rules and stuff like that you know mm-hmm. and just knowing how the rule book goes 
but you know, it's like nobody that I'm, you know, I'm not friends with anybody who tries to get stuff to spoil at all. So it's just, you do the best you can in any way, shape or form to get that elk out or get whatever game it is out, you know, and keep it fresh. Exactly. You know, um, and you know, that's how my friends are. That's how I am. You know, sometimes you lose stuff. That's just how it goes. Um, but it, you just do the best that you can to get it out as fast as you can. Right. Exactly. You, know, you, you shoot, you shoot an elk, you do the best to follow up and track, especially if it was like today, 80 degrees, you know, you get that thing skinned, um, quartered and hanging. And then as soon as I get it, you know, as soon as I get everything spun out and quartered and hanging with it being 80 degrees, I would probably try to debone that thing as fast as I can because that bone and the marrow on it, it can actually spoil from that, from the inside out. Yep. hundred percent. Exactly. Right. Yeah. It'll, it'll, you'll get bone sour. Um, Right. And that happens pretty quickly too, like like Owen's saying. Uh let's talk tactics here for a little bit. So kind of walk me through the archery season of how you go through your tactics. Um early season to the rut, um, and then potentially like post rut if you will. Um, like so this year we came here first day, our mission was we had nine trail cameras out um like we want to check these cameras we want to see what's on these cameras you know so we have cameras in meadows um on wallows just on a heavy trail and so we went we checked these cameras you know cameras in the wallows were like well the last time we had a bull hit a wallow and it was actually a nice bull was august 31st since then we didn't have hardly anything hit a wallow. Um, so then, you know, we're like, okay, is it worth our time to hunt here? You know, what are we going to do? So we're like, we tried a couple different things. We tried sitting in a wallow one night. Um, we tried just hunting the general area to which we had pictures of bulls. And we really were just kind of like striking out. So then we're like, all right, we just got to put the miles in. We know there's elk here, but where'd they go? You know? Um, this time they're kind of like staging up, they're getting ready for the rut. So the bulls are laying tight. They're trying to stay by themselves. They're getting irritable. So we thought, all right, we're going to try and, you know, and they're not bugling much, which is hard. It's like, you know, hunting Bigfoot, you don't even know where to start. So we're like, all right, we're just going to cover some ground. We're going to, you know, pick these areas where we think these bulls might bed up for the day. And we're going to try and get close get into these areas, bugle, see if we can, you know, make him irritable and get him to bugle. And then, you know, okay, we know where this bull is. We can close in on. Um, and that's kind of what we've been doing. But Owen actually had some luck. He uh, was covering some ground, and I was stayed back glassing. I kind of hurt my knee pretty good, so I've been trying to take it easy. Um, but he got into some elk, and it was just by, you know, we picked an area on the map that looked good. I went up, hiked up to the top of the hill, and I was glassing, and he went, I was checking all these different uh, little drainages going around and calling, and he got into some blowdowns, saw cow elk, and moved in a little bit just to check the situation out. Well, then his wind switched, and a nice bull stood up and looked at him and a couple cows, but he, uh, it happened too fast. He couldn't, couldn't get a shot off, so right now we're still in the covering ground, and we're trying to find cows that 
these bulls are going to be going after here any any hour now probably so for calling techniques it's more kind of like turkey hunting in the aspect of your your bugles are kind of just to locate uh potential bulls and where they're at and then you guys are making a move on them and then from there you might uh do some cow calls once you're close or maybe just try to set up in an ambush ambush situation right so um you know it, it all depends on what your scenario is you know it's kind of, i don't want to say week by week because you know depending on when your season opens and stuff like that but depending on the date wise you know you have like certain dates and, you know, depending on the weather system you have moving through, you know, that can change it a little a couple of days. You can have mm -hmm. moon phase changes in a couple of days on how things are operating. But, you know, personally, and I can't say for sure because, you know, I'm not an elk. I can't get right in there with them see what they're doing. But like Brandon said, I was on that bull. I, I ran out this head and I was going to come back along the top of these drainages and bugle. And it was only like three miles worth of coming back along. And I had to drop down in this little drainage and come up. And I came up and there was a cow there like 70 yards and I knocked the arrow and I snuck into like 50 and my, and my wind swirled and I had a bull jump up at 30 and then run out to 50 and I was one step back in a full drawn bow from letting an arrow fly. And, uh, you know, that I, I beagled twice getting within, within probably 600 yards of there and it was open, you know, like the wind, it was a little windy. So maybe that could have been it, but the timber definitely didn't kill the sound. That's for sure. Cause it was open all the way from me to them. Um, you know, and now that, like I said, that was, or not, like I said, but that was a 300 inch bull. Probably that was, you know, he's a really nice one and it just didn't connect. And I, I didn't book him too bad. Cause he ran out there and he kind of stopped at 50 yards and thought about it. And he's kind of worked his way off, but it was too thick for me to try to even keep up with him getting into the timber. But these elk are just kind of like, you know, the only reason or not the only reason, but the big reason when you just hear elk just hammering constantly bugling, it's because there's a hot cow. And there's probably other bulls there bugling and, you know, the all these satellites trying to get in, trying to get this cow. And this bull's like basically yelling at him, telling him to back off. And that's where these big bugle fests come in. They don't just bugle because they can. Because they, you know, they usually I always have a reason behind it when they're doing it a lot. Um, like this morning we got in, we heard like two bugles this morning and it was warm. It was like 45 degrees when we left the truck. I mean, we were hot by the time we got to the first top of the first you know, logging road. It was just I wasn't sweat pouring off me, but I was definitely feeling it on my back and, you know, under my arms and such. But I think as, what are we sitting on the ninth today? Um, in the next, like, four days here or so, it's going to start, you know, it's just going to start picking up. These bulls are going to, you know, it's supposed to start cooling down. You know, highs is like 70 to 60. These bulls are going to start getting more active. They're going to start, you know, checking out their cows more. Um, and then as far as calling, like you said, um, like earlier I was doing, I don't really make any cow sounds right when we started because it was early yet. And I personally can't, you know, I don't know a lot about calling. I haven't spent a lot of time in elk woods calling. I do as much research as I can. You know, you got um, these bigger guys, Randy Newberg, he's, he's big into rifle hunting, but he's got a lot of information on elk. You have Corey Jacobson. He's, he's big into archery elk hunting. He has a lot of information. Um, elk nut, Paul Medell. He is, huge on elk calling so many strategies and tactics on how to get these bulls to come in you know and not just any bull big bulls so i've been trying just to work those the past two or two or three years now so um you know early on first couple days i'm just kind of sounding like a bull a younger bull kind of just working my way into an area 
just like checking it out. You know, not, I'm not a cow. I don't have cows. I'm just a bull working my way into a big bull's area. And the problem is we couldn't get a bugle in general. So we didn't even know if there was an elk at all. List I was listening to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just recently here, the past two days or so, or three, when the cows are starting, you know, it's like it's get we're getting close to the time here now. I start sounding maybe more like a cow that's being bothered with a uh, with a bull, kind of you know, and to, just trying to get a bull to respond and react. That says, "Hey, what's going on down there?" And then you basically you you convince him to talk with the cow, and then you start talking to him as a bull if he answers you back. Because if you try to call a bull in on a cow call, you know they're looking for the cow, they're wary, they want to breathe. They're just like trying to check it out. They come in more, you know, cautious of what's going on versus if you can get them bugling and screaming, they just get agitated and angry. They come in, eyes roll back, you know, just irritated and want to fight. And then they just let their guard down completely. How, so. how big is the window? Um, and I, you might have, you kind of already touched on this, but that, how big is that window when their eyes roll back? When you see that kind of action, like you do on, uh, on Primos and like all these other hunting shows and, and stuff that you see on YouTube where bulls are out of their mind, rut crazy and fighting and all that. Right. So, um, I shot my, that spike ball. I, was on, I shot last year when I was on that big bull. Um, I had a real close encounter with the big bull and he just didn't, he just didn't give it up quite, but he was right there. Um, that was the 11th of September. Right. And I was, I went back in there and check it out again, just to see what was going on the 12th kind of thing. And there were three bulls in there, three different bulls in that, in that drainage, just hammering away nonstop, you know, and obviously, you know, there's, there, I was I'm sure there was a hot cow in there and these bulls were just going nuts, losing it. And then, you know, my buddy's mom, she shot a bull on like the 20, right around the 25th, you know, so almost, you know, 15 days later, and that bull came in just screaming to 20 yards. So it, you know, if you can, if you can find a hot cow and you, or you, or you can just find a bull on a bull on the right day. That's why a lot of guys, you know, they just say, just cover ground, just try to find the bull that wants to talk. Cause if you can find a bull that wants to talk, you got an opportunity. You got an opportunity to get them worked up, to get them excited, to get them frustrated. Mm-hmm. Right. So. Find, find the bull that's willing to play your game versus you trying to play their game. Right, exactly. Oh, now I remember. All right, so you guys are in Montana, and we're not going to disclose the the location, but what are some things that somebody coming from the east or another state that's coming to hunt out west for elk that they should need to know of as far as safety precautions? Know if there's grizzly bears in the area or not? Be bear aware. So let's start there with, uh, with the bear thing. Uh, what are, what are you recommending for that as a safety net? If you're going to be hunting in, in grizzly area and are you, are you guys pretty Um, much not worried? You're not worried about black bears, correct? Just grizzlies. I carry a fire, a sidearm just because I I like the extra caution. Brandon, he hasn't been packing his cause you know, we're together, you know, and black bears, you know, I've uh, I've shot a black bear with my boat 30 yards already in my blue jeans and cowboy boots just by incident, basically right place, right time. Um, you know, and they and I out, after I moved out here, especially I've had so many experiences with black bears. They really don't bother me, especially if it's not dark. It, it don't even, you know, get me too excited. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but the Grizzlies, you know, I've seen, uh, I've seen, I've only ever seen two Grizzlies in Montana now that I live here. I've seen, yeah, I haven't seen any tracks. I've seen two Grizzlies, Sal and a Cub, and the Sal, um, it charged me and it, it, it didn't quite make it, let's put it that way. And, you know, everything legally not taken care of. But either way, I'm very on edge and very, you know, cautious about being bear aware more than I even was before. Yeah, I, I can imagine after know, being charged. Right. I still carry bear spray. Right. Because I actually think you might, is it by law you have to? I don't know if by law you have, I don't think by law you have to carry bear spray. Like, like Fran said, he carries bear spray. I carry bear spray. I, you know, it's just one of those things, you know, I trust the sidearm a lot. I'm really handy with it compared to bear spray. I've probably drawn my fire sidearm in three years, probably about eight to ten times now. Not necessarily there's always something there. It's just, you know, even if a grouse flies up and it's real close and it's thick, you know, it's just natural. It just comes out just like that without even trying. Mm-hmm. Um, but the bear spray is always there. And I always, you know, I try to keep it in my back of my mind and remember. But nine times out of ten, if you see a bear, you don't have time. It's, unless it's your bear spray, and that's like your number one line of defense, you're going to reach for that. But I have something a little more powerful, I think. Yeah. Than bear spray. But. And there is signs pretty much everywhere that say, be bear aware. You know, you got to keep your food at camp wise, you got to keep your food sealed up in containers and you can't let trash sit out. So if you're cautious and do what you have to do, you're not going to have a bear problem. Right. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, let's talk a little bit about like kind of that swing in temperatures and potentially how hot you get midday when you're going out trying to find elk and that kind of stuff. Uh, do you guys want to talk a little bit of potentially about heat exhaustion, staying hydrated, that whole deal? Yeah, I mean, we pretty much just carry a lot of water, and I have a little, little Sawyer uh, water filtration. Uh, unit that you know if I do run out of water I can find a stream I'm not going to go suck water out of a wallow per se (laughs) and filter it into my bladder but I'm gonna you know I'll find a fresh stream and I'll filter water you know just always have water um, just stuff you know gives you vitamins and minerals a little bit of fresh fruit just you know taking care of yourself and eating healthy right pretty i mean you can get heat exhaustion i guess but as you're careful you know you just got to know how hard you can push and that kind of stuff it's not uh it's not all that difficult i would say right yeah if you you know if you're out here hunting you you've got to be not on edge but you got to have common sense you got to be thinking in general about everything you know whether it's bear wear whether it's you know your broad head broad heads in your quiver you know, just carrying a small first aid kit, making sure you have water. Because, um, you know, on average, you know, we might end up three and a half miles from the truck on a walkthrough or something like that. But if an elk talks, I'm not scared to end up six and a half miles from the truck. Right. You know, so it's just, you just got to be prepared for whatever. But I try to draw a fine line between being prepared and being overprepared. Because once you become, start getting overprepared with everything, your pack starts weighing an extra 15 pounds. And then, then you're miserable because then, you just have 15 pounds of garbage you're lugging around. And, you know, Brandon carries a few things that I don't even carry anymore just because I don't, you know, just, just like little, little, you know, like a jet boil cooker and stuff. He carries that and I'm, 
I carry mine sometimes too, depending on what I'm doing. But a lot of times I don't even do that just because I'm, I like to go light as possible basically. Right. Because I think it makes, it helps me be more healthier. Heavier my pack is, the more harder I have to work. And when we're walking back to the truck and it's going on 70 degrees, I'm hot and I'm sweating. That's that. I mean, that's also working with your partner too and figuring out uh, who's carrying what. So like if Brandon has the jet boil, you both can share the jet boil and you just need to bring your food. You know what I mean? There's no reason right, for you to right, really right. to bring two jet boils or, or, or cookers or whatever kind of thinking that stuff out um, is pretty important because like you said, um, ounces turn into pounds, pounds turn into weight, blah, blah, blah. However the saying goes. Um, right. Well, fellas, we are working on an hour here. Do you have any, last closing thoughts um recommendations for anybody that potentially is going to be coming out within the next week what your predictions are as far as uh the rut turning up that kind of stuff um you know it's it's, it's coming personally i'm like i'm if, if you're gonna say i'm gonna hunt the third week you know right around the 20th i like i like to hunt the previous 10 days before that just because that's when the big bulls are not as concentrated with their cows you know they aren't as um active with them they're they're a little more receptive to kind of sneaking off a little bit you know not just hovering over 24 7 um but you know i know me and brandon talked to jimmy about this a while ago and we we just kind of said it's, it depends how bad you want how bad you want to shoot now um you know we haven't done it yet but i've done we've done it lots of times in the past and it's paid off tremendously on you know not killing elk necessarily but seeing elk and hearing them just by getting up 3 a.m you know three hours before daylight going and bugling location 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 and just trying to get something to answer or seeing an elk run across the road that's not expecting it that early um and being at your spot if you're gonna if you're like leaving if the sky is breaking daylight and you're like leaving camp i mean it's always possible to shoot a bull it's highly possible still but the sooner, if you, especially if you're going into a spot and you know you want to be somewhere, get in there and be in there before daylight. If you don't think you're going to bump elk out on the way in. Um, and just listen. And um, another key thing is sometimes is if you bugle, don't always expect the bull just to bugle right back. Wait 10, 15 minutes if you want to. Because, you know, they'll answer back, like, you know, just minutes later after, you know, you could be – hundreds of yards gone walking through the brush and not hear it and there could be one that bugled you know 600 yards from where you were standing just down over a bank if, if they just weren't hot and ready to talk when you bugled at them right but um i would say a good uh comparison for me you know hunting east and west is i want to i want to be hunting here right now because come you know another eight, 10 days, it's almost like hunting whitetail, you know, the whitetail rut when the bucks are on lockdown, they have their does, you know, they're a little bit harder to see from um, my past experiences in Pennsylvania and Ohio and Missouri. Um, when those bucks are on lockdown, they're hard to see. And that goes same with these elk. When these bulls have their cows, they're harder to work with. And you're, gonna be really lucky i would think if you shot one of these big bulls these herd bulls that have cows because all they're worried about is cows they don't care about 
anything else. So um, I think these next five, six days, eight days are going to be pretty good days to be in the woods. That's for sure. Well, there you go. You heard it straight from the the horse's mouth. The next five to eight days, if you guys, uh, if anybody's headed to Montana, that's time to be there. Um, but I think you both hit the nail on the head. Like you think about it, right? And, and Owen alluded to this earlier. It's it's mostly just about common sense. Use common sense. Just think things through. Don't overthink it. Okay. Bulls. The closer you get to the rut, the tighter herd bulls are going to be to their harem of cows, protecting them, trying to breed them, so on and so forth. So not only do you got to pull them away from the cows, but you also have to compete with potentially 20 other noses, 20 other sets of eyes, that whole deal as well. When you're playing the odds of statistics in your favor, when you have a, a herd bull that's potentially just working the outskirts of his harem, it's going to be much easier for success to not have to deal with those 20 sets of eyes, not have to deal with uh, 20 different noses and getting him on the fringe. So I, I, I personally agree a hundred percent with you guys. And I think that's really, really good information. So with that being said, um, where, where can the listeners, follow you guys see your adventures uh i don't know how much service you're getting i know you guys had a drop down out of the mountain to do this podcast which i really really appreciate but uh if you guys are on social media and, and posting your stories and showing what's going on in the elkwoods you guys want to drop your uh your your social on the uh on the podcast yeah uh my name's brandon blatt so if you look that up i don't even know my my username or whatever for instagram but but i put some stuff on there and on snapchat um i think going he pretty much does the same thing uh it's real spotty you know we when we do put stuff up just because we uh don't have much service but yeah my instagram username is brandon blatt underscore seven and my you know i'm owen wolferson um I, like Brandon said, I don't do I don't do a ton. You know, some guys do live streaming. They're posting every couple of days. You know, I don't do it a lot. But um, like I noticed from a lot of people that I just look at, I don't necessarily try to like study their every move. I just try to obtain the information and stuff like that. Not that I'm full of it either. You know, but just anywhere from I'll look at somebody that don't even hunt that much, know a ton, but the date they killed something, I'll just put that in the back of my mind. Um, but my Instagram handle that's Owen Go Hunt. Um, so yeah and it should be a should be a fun next to five to eight to ten or whatever days full yeah. full hopefully bugling and big bulls going down yeah i hope so uh good luck fellas get on them and do work um like i said i really appreciate you taking the time out of your hunt to hop on this podcast uh it's going to be posted here in the next day or two so uh once things kind of settle down we'll we'll hop back on the mic uh and we'll do uh, a recap and go over the rest of your hunt. Cause you guys are hunting what from like 15 more days or something. I'm hunting probably another seven more days. All right. Okay. I think Owen is hunting until they tell him he has to come back to work. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's how I like to do it. But, 
Okay. That, that'll that'll work okay. then. Um, I'll make sure I have links in the show notes. Uh, what were you gonna say there, Owen? I was just gonna say we just just try to hunt till your your legs don't want to go anymore. Yeah. Well, how how bad do you want it? That's I right. Don't know how many miles we put on already? But enough. <laughs> right, I'm ready right. for some good action. So. All right, fellas, we'll get on them this evening. Um, if you if you do get service, keep us posted. I really appreciate you uh hopping on the podcast. Yeah, sure thing. No problem. All right. Thanks everybody for tuning in to the White Seal Theories podcast.